Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, feline friends. Welcome to Catitude. I'm your show host, Michelle Fern. And I'm so excited to have you here where you have a great show. This guest today sent me an email and she said, I'd like to be on your show. I have rescued 3,000 cats. And I thought, whoa, this woman speaks my language. Of course I have to have her on the show. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about one of my, it's not my favorite subject, but it's near and dear to my heart, TNR Rescue, because of all the positive that comes with it. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to welcome Amy Castro. She is the president and founder of the Starlight Rescue and has rescued over 3,000 cats. I'm not sure how many dogs and, or what else there is, but welcome to Catitude. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So 3,000 cats. Let's first start with the question I think everybody has on their mind. How did you get started in this? And how in the world did you get up to 3,000 cats rescued, which is phenomenal? Well, I got my start. I've always been an animal lover and just had never really gotten involved in in rescue other than my own personal pets. And my city that I was living in at the time built its facility within walking distance from my house. So it was actually, I got my start in a municipal animal shelter. And at that point, uh, I got very, very involved in fostering. And so I realized pretty quickly that there are limitations to what a city facility is going to be able to do for rescued animals. And that's why I decided to go ahead and, and start my own rescue. So the, the actual 3000 number is really the personal fosters that I've done over the years. And I actually stopped counting. I, used, I had a list at one time and I kept the list of every animal and all the names and then it just got to be a lot. So I actually stopped counting a couple of years ago, about maybe two years into doing the rescue. So it the number is probably higher, but now I have a lot more help. So that's always great. Well, kudos to you for doing this and stepping up and even fostering. The whole process is a challenge. I've had people on the show that they were part of the trapping process and they're into you know trapping. Do you go out and trap or do you mostly have people bring cats that they find to you or is it both? It's a little bit of both. I probably think the, the vast majority of what we get are 
people who find animals, but we also take in animals that people have trapped as well. It's probably about a, you know, an 80 to 80, 20 ratio of just purely found animals that they're looking for help with or their own pets that they can no longer care for that we take in through Starlight Outreach and Rescue. And then we do try to help in the efforts of communities to do TNR or trap neuter return as well, because not all of the animals that get trapped, as you well know, being a cat person, they're not always necessarily suitable or able to adapt to living inside of a home. And so we basically will return them to the uh, to the community that they came from to maintain the balance of the cat colony there, but not increase it because we always make sure they're spayed and neutered before they go back. Yes. And, you know, in the beginning of the show, the, the reason I love TNR, the reason I don't like it means that there's cats out there that are going to be, you know, possibly maimed, injured, harmed, who knows what. And so it's wonderful when I hear of organizations like yours that do what you do so that it reduces the amount of cats that are out there. So the amount of TNR, you know, gets a little bit smaller. But I know that there'll always be people doing TNR. It's just impossible. And it depends, of course, you know, the area that you're in and so forth. Even in, you know, here in Texas, so I live on seven acres. I've got our our rescue ranch here. And even when we've had cats that we've trapped and maybe we can't return them to whatever the whatever the community is for whatever reason, there still are some that just don't make it really well in a house environment, or they're not really 100% safe to be around human or other animals. And so we have them as barn cats. So it's it's kind of a balance of, they do have a certain level of safety and security. They're obviously well-fed on a regular basis. But even with that, there's only so much space in the world for barn cats. And I think that's that's the biggest challenge is that in rescue, there's so many animals that, you know, that are coming in and you know, it's hard enough sometimes to find homes for the ones that are friendly, the ones that can be picked up, be held, you know, and interact, as opposed to something that maybe is more feral or something that is super, super shy. It's it's a real struggle to try to find homes for those because people like the lovey cuddly ones for the most part. Yes, they do. And mine have all three have different personalities and they all came to me. I wasn't mm -hmm. even looking. Back then, I wasn't even a cat person. Dennis was abandoned, I'm pretty sure, because he knew the sound of a refrigerator, and he still likes that sound a lot. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was abandoned. Uh, Molly was born on my doorstep, and Charlotte was with her mother, and she's still a little bit kind of, we say misunderstood. <laughs> I had another guest on, so we call it misunderstood. She, she was on, you know, kind of in the community for four months. So she functions in a household, but not really. She doesn't get along with the other two cats and they've been living together seven years. So I totally get that. Let's talk about barn cats because, you know, I've heard of them, but not on a rescue site. And obviously, since you're in Texas, you have the space board. What do barn cats do? I mean, it might be kind of obvious. No, yeah. I would come and sit, come to you and say, oh, yeah, I need a barn cat. And <laughs> I guess they may have barns or animals or a lot of rodents or something. But Yeah, well, interestingly enough, you know, we use the term, at least here in Texas, I can't speak to other places in the country, but you know, I'm outside of Houston, Texas, and we use the term barn cat basically for a cat that's going to be living outdoors, but will be definitely provided with you know, 
a shelter environment that they can live in and obviously regular food and human interaction. Now, whether they choose to partake of that human interaction is a whole nother thing. I happen to right now have probably six barn cats and some of them I refer to them as barn cats in waiting because they will be adopted out. But then I've got some permanent residents that I've kind of gotten attached to. And they range everywhere from a cat that we have named Chubbles, who is a big, fat-headed, orange tomcat, you know, all kind of scrappy guy that has spent his life living outside. And he loves to be petted. I can pick him up. I can do what I need to with him. And then you have some on the other end of the extreme, one in particular that uh, we named him Grey Worm after the character of Game of Thrones because he's solid gray and he's kind of long and uh, and lean. And he comes to eat and I can, you know, if I'm quick enough, I can get some flea medicine on him, but there's no way he would let me pick him up. If I pet him, I'll get one touch in and then he's hissing at me and running away. So they kind of range from being more friendly to being really just feral cats. But what they basically do is they serve, obviously, a huge purpose in rodent population, you know, keeping the rodent population down because of those of us who do have true barns where you've got, I've got chicken feed out there, I've got horse feed out there, I don't need, you know, rats and mice pooping in there. Uh, they also tend to keep other predators away to a certain degree, like raccoons and possums, which are a, a threat to chickens for those who raise chickens and I happen to have some chickens. And so I think having the cats around just deters other critters from trying to get in and around our chicken coop. But the other thing with barn cats down here is that it's not always a barn like I have. It's not always a barn that houses animals. Sometimes people want quote unquote barn cats for keeping down the rodent population in warehouses or places where other products are stored. I have a couple of people that have chemical companies, not like toxic chemicals, but plastics and things like that. And they really don't want other critters getting into that, chewing on boxes, having their babies and, you know, in the, in the, in the materials and then, you know, shipping them off to other parts of the country. So having those barn cats can, can help keep those places rodent free and free of bugs and lizards and snakes and things like that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned raccoons and possums because two of my cats were they were community cats. Sammy would have been your typical barn cat. I had to hire somebody to trap her. I couldn't do it. I caught the baby daddy twice, Jethro, but not her. They've since gone on to the Rainbow Bridge for cats. But I live in an area that's definitely suburbs. And outside my window, you could see one night there was a raccoon, there was a possum, there was Sammy and Jethro, and they look like they're all ready to play cards. Mm -hmm. so, I guess they weren't deterring raccoons and possums in my area. But what do you do to um, make sure that the barn cats are going to places that they will be taken care of in some manner? Oh, that's an excellent question. So we, we do a couple of things. Obviously, we do have people fill out applications in the same way that they fill out applications to adopt our pets for house cats. And we phrase questions in certain ways where it's not like obvious what the right answer is because we want to get a real feel for you know what their plans are with those with the animals we do a site visit to make sure that the environment is as safe as possible i mean even with my own barn cats if they venture too far from the barn and they don't come in at night which we hope that they do and they certainly have the opportunity to do that they are definitely at risk of a variety of things, anything from being shot 
by somebody who thinks it's a predator on their property to being grabbed by a coyote or some other type of predators. We have coyotes, we have bobcats, and apparently we even have a, a cougar around here. So to a certain degree, it can be a little bit of survival of the fittest, but we do the best that we can to ensure that survival. We also, and I think this is something that might be relatively unique for us, but maybe not, we make sure that that person has a setup to get them started. Because one of the important things about acclimating a barn cat or sometimes they refer to them down here as working cats because it's not always a barn is that you can't just take a cat and just toss it into your warehouse and expect that it necessarily is going to stick around and do the job you need it to do. So what we do is we take a cat tower over to the over to the facility along with food and water that the animal's been eating and we have them start off by keeping the cat in the tower for 10 to 14 days switching out the you know obviously providing food and water and then we provide them depending upon the animal if it's quite a feral cat where it wouldn't be super safe to stick your hands in there too much we provide them with a bunch of disposable cat litter boxes that they can switch out every other day so they don't have to worry about scooping and we provide them enough for the 14 days. And then we we give them a process. So the cat spends 10 to 14 days in the tower, being fed, knowing where its food and water is coming from, getting used to the noise or whatever the environment is like. And then we ask them from there to let the cat out of the tower, but to close the facility. And so it would be a matter of closing up the barn so the cat can't get in and out. Hopefully not all of them are 100% able to be closed up. But usually after that 10 to 14 days of knowing where my meal is coming from, the cats are generally going to stick around. But, you know, we expand it to the environment and then it's more a matter of, you know, opening the doors, so to speak, and allowing the cat to go beyond the actual building to do their rodent searching on the property. It's all going to depend on the environment where the cat's being released. And then we go and collect all of our equipment when they're done with it. And what does the tower look like? It is, I know it's about as tall as me and I'm about 5'3". So it's about as tall as me. It's made of the same type of material as a wire dog crate. It's got shelves inside. It's got a floor on the bottom. You know, it's not something you would want a cat living in forever, but it keeps them safe. It keeps them from running off in the beginning. And again, depending upon the environment, if it's a, like sometimes people will just want it for their, like a workshop and sometimes they're air conditioned and completely closed, but still mice and little critters get in. So in that situation, if if it's something that you can actually close up and secure, then we usually have them take the cat out in just a couple of days so that they can kind of peruse the environment. But if it's something that can't be closed, like my barn, we can close the door so that a coyote can't get in, but there's lots of places that cats could squeeze out. So we usually will have them in that, that cat tower, but it's about five foot by four foot by about three feet, three or four feet wide. Kind of like a little wire house. Yeah, it's basically yeah, it's basically like a wire house, like the, you know, a cat version of a bird cage. That's a good way to describe it. All right, yeah. we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. 
There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Amy Castro. She is the president and founder of the Starlight Rescue. Okay, Amy you rescue so many cats and dogs as well and here's the question how do you make it through kitten season i know there's a <laughs> i did wasn't aware about puppy season i know there's kitten season and i know that there's a lot more kittens out there than there are puppies but how do you make it through because it can be crazy it definitely can be crazy and it definitely it it varies from year to year sometimes it's kittens coming out of our ears and sometimes it's like, hey, I wish somebody would bring us some kittens because we've got adopters looking for kittens. So a couple of things that we do, and I'm speaking specifically to you, how does our rescue make it through? Because at the rescue ranch, it's myself, it's my daughter, Kelsey, and we are the primary. So any kittens or moms and kittens that we bring that come here, you know, we have to care for. But then we also have an extended network of fosters. And so having fosters definitely allows us to accept more kittens from the community. Obviously, if we can get people to, you know, if it's a trapping situation, if we can get people to trap the mom and that we get the mom and the kittens, that's a lot less care than, and, and this is some good advice for your listeners is that so many times down here, people will make a presumption very quickly that kittens are abandoned and then snatch them up and want a rescue to take them. And number one, obviously, that's not the best thing for the kittens. And number two, it, it's a tremendous burden on the rescue to have to feed kittens, you know, a litter. We have a cat in our cattery right now that just gave birth to six kittens. If I had to bottle feed those around the clock, it would be quite the job. And I've done it before and I've done it with multiple litters because they need to be fed every two hours around the clock in the first couple of weeks and pottied and everything else and, and monitored. So if we can get people to, to catch the moms or to keep the kittens with the moms, you know, somebody has a cat that has given birth in their garage, rather than taking those kittens away right away to leave them with the mom until they're about four weeks and close to eating food on their own and then rescuing everybody and getting mom spayed at that point, that certainly helps with the uh, with the survival <laughs> the survival process on our end of getting through kitten season. And then you know there's a reason we call it Starlight Outreach and Rescue because I feel like a huge portion of what we do is education. And so encouraging people, like if I see a Facebook post of somebody that says, I got my cat and I got, you know, I got a brother and sister and now they're getting older and I can't afford to get them spayed and neutered. That's one of the things that we help people do. So we don't create more litters. Or if somebody has a cat that has kittens, we'll reach out, you know, not vilify them or criticize them for not getting their animals spayed, but simply ask, can we help you get your cat spayed so this doesn't happen again? And then, you know, obviously we offer to help with those kittens, but um, trying to keep them with their original families, trying to keep moms and kittens together. And then obviously having 
an extended foster network of people who are willing to take in kittens until they're of adoptable age is basically what we do to survive kitten season. Thank you for sharing all of that. Sure. I've heard this terminology. It was actually told to me um, by someone who does rescues, feeder breeder, where some people just feed a community of a cat and never try to get the cat fixed. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've not heard that term before. I, that's interesting. I'm surprised I haven't. But yes, there are a lot of people who will feed because, you know, it's it's a catch-22. The more you feed, the more they breed. And so you're not helping the situation by feeding those neighborhood cats and keeping them fat and happy and, and able to breed. At the same time, I think it's very hard for people when a kitty cat wanders up to your home meowing and looking hungry to not feed it. But what ends up happening is if you take the responsibility for feeding, and even from a legal standpoint in the state of Texas, most municipalities, if you feed that cat for more than three business days, it is legally your pet at that point, whether you let it in the house or whether you don't. And so it's your responsibility once you start feeding it to spay or neuter it so that it doesn't reproduce. But I think what happens is the feeding part's easy. The catching, the especially if it is a feral cat, the catching it, the figuring out where to take it, the expense to spay and neuter it becomes a lot. But you know, for those who, out there who were saying, yeah, that's me, <laughs> it's a lot to do it. But if you let that colony grow and now you've got 40 cats, imagine how much that's going to cost you to spay and neuter. And now you're a nuisance to the neighborhood and your neighbors are complaining and animal control is likely to come and round all those cats up. And that's a problem too. So it's really a nip in the bud kind of situation as much as it can be a little bit expensive. It's better than what happens in the long run for sure. Exactly. And actually where I live, it's not legal to leave food outside and just leave the food because especially in my area, it draws the raccoons. Mm -hmm. And then you are subject to, you know, diseases for your pets. But I was a feeder breeder person because there was this two cats that came along. I think there were two or three. So, you know, not really a community or a tiny one. And Sammy and then her baby daddy, Jethro, and her daughter, Charlotte. And they just came around. So I fed them. And then my spouse said, hey, I didn't know if it was a male or female. There's a way to tell by the tail if it's a question mark or something by their uh, by their anal glands. But I didn't. That's okay. Um, so I didn't know if it was male or female. She started to get chubby, and we thought maybe it's because she's eating well because she's a tiny cat or she was a tiny cat. No mm -hmm. pregnant. That's how Molly came out. Three cats on my doorstep. Before yep. I could catch her um, again, I tried to catch. I caught the baby daddy. Couldn't catch her. I wasn't sure if Charlotte was old enough to be fixed. So I think I took Charlotte to get fixed. So then two of them were fixed, could not catch Sammy. And you're right. It is a challenge. It was a little expensive, but not that much. So there was only two of them. But I was at my wit's end with Sammy because before I could catch her, <laughs> she had another litter. I know. It's hard. And, right. It's like you're trying, trying. And desperation, I think one of the local apps that like a neighborhood app and he said, I need help. You know, I can't catch this cat. And this woman had a friend that was actually a, and it's a, it's an old catitude show. And so she actually had a drop trap like Roadrunner. And that's mm -hmm. she caught Sammy. And yep. 
I was I was reluctant. I said, you know, what's your success rate? Because she's so hard to catch. And she said, listen to me and do what I say. And I have a very good success rate. It was something like not to feed her that night, except for some mm-hmm. simple, don't feed her in the morning, get this certain kind of cat food that's kind of smelly. And I, I guess it's very alluring for the cats. And she caught her. And yep. uh, I was amazed. Because the other thing that with kittens is that they move at a very young age too. And when you're not living in, you know, I'm in this, a city area, they're walking down your driveway, these little teeny things, and they're not going to have a good survival rate. But I'm happy to say all six were adopted out and she was fixed. But it definitely is a challenge when you're feeding them and you don't want, you know, you don't want to subject the cat to hunger, but then you have to do the other part. You have to get the cat caught or find someone that does TNR. Otherwise, the cycle just continues and continues. Here's a question for you. How many cats do you think, how many cats' lives do you think you have saved since you have been practicing TNR, um, fosters, getting all the cats fixed? How many lives do you think you saved? Ooh, that's, I mean, I know that for the rescue, our intake averages around 300 cats a year, and we've been in business since business. That sounds terrible. We we started the rescue. I founded the rescue in late 2017. So let's say let's say that's 3,500 right there. And then as far as, you know, I don't even have the numbers, it, you know, it's, it's probably been, I would guess somewhere around 5,000 total. And now if you start multiplying, you know, when we see some of those graphics, if you look oh, online yeah. and how many cats can somebody have, it's probably millions when you look at the potential generation of generation of generation of babies that could have been born from those cats. Right. That's what I was saying. I was almost going to yeah. go billion. The best we can do is just all, all everyone that's listening, just keep spreading the word and to get your cats fixed. And speaking of that, what would you suggest to someone that wants to get involved? You know, they maybe they have one cat or they don't feel that they spend enough time at home. Their business might be seasonal or school or what have you. And they want a cat, but they can't really dive right in and just adopt one. Or they just want to do some TNR or rescue work. Where would they start? I think if you're really looking at, you know, I want to be a lifesaver, contact your local animal control facility, your your city facility, if, you, if you've got one, your county facility because those tend to be the higher kill facilities in most communities for a variety of reasons that I won't won't get into. It's it's generally not their fault. It's the limitations of the system. And so, you know, starting with them and and finding out what types of programs they have available. You know, what is their adoption program like or if you're not ready to adopt, you know, what is their foster program like? What is the commitment? Like one of the things that we do and I think we do it well is we want to keep our fosters around and we don't want anybody to ever feel like, wow, Starlight Outreach and Rescue asked me to foster this cat for a week and I got stuck with it for a year. So we try to work with our fosters as to, you know, what their availability is, what their level of commitment is, and then find the the right fit foster for them. And then, you know, sometimes it's not actually fostering. It's It might be getting involved in other ways, helping at adoption events or helping to clean cages because that relieves somebody else from doing that job and then they can be fostering or bottle feeding kittens or whatever it might be. There's so many different ways that people can get involved to help be part of the solution that don't necessarily involve 
you know, a huge time commitment, but it really does vary depending upon the facility. So start with your local municipal facility. If they don't have any type of volunteer or fostering or TNR program that you can help with, then I would just do a, you know, do a Google search for animal rescues or cat rescues near me and see what comes up and reach out and find out what their programs are all about. That's great advice. Thank you so much. And last question, because we're about to wrap it up. Okay. Well, second to last question, because I want you to share after this where people can find out about you and about Starlight Rescue. What is the record for the cat that has taken the longest amount of time to adopt to find its forever home? Well, the one that really jumps out at me is a cat named Astro. He started off at animal control and he was probably there, you know, nine months to a year. And then when we started the rescue, we took him into the rescue program and he was here for a long, long time. And his downside, I mean, he was a lovely cat. He was a pretty cat. He was a neat and tidy cat, but he was just so shy, super, super shy. It was probably a good year and a half. I know that there's other organizations out there that have had cats for years, but what's interesting about him, it was he was with us for a good year and a half. I finally I had gotten in touch with a uh, a person that I had served in the Air Force with who was probably living about seven or eight hours away from us and just convinced her she was looking for a cat. And then, and there's always, if, if you work hard enough, you can find that special person that's willing to give a cat a chance that's shy like that. So long and the short of it is we met, you know, halfway, which happened to be Dallas. We exchanged the cat. She took Astro and it probably took him another eight or nine months before she was able to actually get him to come out and sit on the sofa with her and let her pet him. And, you know, she kept him until the day that he died, but it takes that dedication of the people trying to find the homes and people that are willing to give an animal a chance and not give up after a weekend of the cat's been under the bed. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. So where can people find out more about you? Well, we definitely have a website and it's starlightoutreachandrescue.org and the and is spelled out. And we're also on Facebook at Starlight Outreach and Rescue. So we're very, very active on Facebook. We do a lot of information and updates and things like that. So definitely check us out in those two places. Those would be the two best places. I want to thank you so much for coming on Catitude. This has been such a pleasure talking to you and learning more about rescue. So thank you for coming on the show and thank you for all you do for all of those cats that you have saved over the years. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being able to spread the word to your listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed this show. I love talking to Amy and learned a lot about TNR and what it takes to run a rescue. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as barn cats. So really great show. I want to thank Amy Castro from Starlight Rescue for coming on Catitude. Thanks to my cat crew that were all adopted, Molly and uh, Charlotte and Dennis. And of course, thanks to the magic of Mark Winter, my producer, for making me and my guests sound amazing. And we would not be anything without everyone listening. So thank you so much for listening and tuning into Catitude. Spread the word. TNR saves lives. And that's a big part of why I do what I do in Catitude. We don't talk about TNR on every show. First of all, it wouldn't be fun to listen to. And, you know, we have to talk about other stuff too. But, you know, every little bit helps. So spread the word. Have people tune in. They can educate themselves about cats. And who knows, you might have another 
friend to play with your cat. So anyway, thank you for listening. And remember, lose the attitude. Have catitude. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.